Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Last night I saw a lunar eclipse in the sky. Then something happened in my mind's eye. I saw you. In a whole different light Clearly, really It's not that I want you to change It's more that I want you to stay the same But I really do want you to stay the same because this is the way I always open the show, so I've stayed the same. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red, and hey, convertible down on the little teeny-weeny sports car, blazing sun, 87 degrees yesterday. I really was red and had a great afternoon going shopping for more plants for my terrace flower boxes. Yes, it was time to leave the pansies behind and bring on the petunias and the marigolds. Beautiful, beautiful day. This is my special little corner of the world on Monday nights. We're live at 7 p.m. Eastern. I'm in New York. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're glad to join us because I'm thrilled to have you on board. My show is called Read My Lips. And you know you can't because it's radio, but that means you're going to have to listen really carefully. As always, I'm delighted to bring you some very special guests. I meet the smartest people, the nicest people, the most interesting people at the National Publicity Summit in New York. Just came back oh, a couple weeks ago from another summit. I do it twice a year, and about 95% of my guests, as many of you know, are introduced to me at the summit. They're eager to get on the air and tell you what they know that you may not know. So we're going to talk to two very interesting ladies today. My first guest is named Carol Coleman. She doesn't have a book. She didn't write a theory about the world, but she knows who you are. She knows that you probably have some very precious memories lurking in an attic, in a drawer, in a memory box somewhere, under the bed, in the back of the closet. What are you going to do with them? Aren't you tired of the same old boring albums and sticking things with the little corners and maybe PDF taking pictures and JPEGs and PDFing them? OMG, Carol Coleman is an artist and artiste. She has a way of taking your memories, my memories, anyone's memories, and turning them into a work of art. We call them personalized keepsakes, memories, and they're collages. If you know what a collage means, you'll be very delighted to hear how Carol does it. Why does she do it? How does she figure out that this is what people not just want but need for preserving our memories? I'm the recipient of a beautiful, beautiful collage. And if you go to her website, I'll give you in a few minutes, you can see a picture of the collage she made for me for the show. I'm just delighted. Second half, well, what am I doing? I'm talking. You may not be able to get up in front of a live audience. You may not even be able to sit down and be in front of a virtual audience. I do both. I presented in front of a professional group of about 100 people in a place called Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, last week for the company that pays my bills. And it was a very interesting experience being on stage in an auditorium, uh huh, hosting a panel of very smart people. And it's a big responsibility. But you may still be boggled and mentally hit over the head, have your, your knees buckle underneath you when you have to do public speaking. My second guest is Dr. Risa Wolf, W O L F F. And she's a PhD and she wrote a book that is called Executive Speaking in a Weekend. The book is really, you're not going to be able to do anything else that weekend, I tell you, it's packed, but she's getting rave reviews, and we're going to go through some of the highlights of how in the heck do you become not only a good, but an in-demand and interesting public speaker. That's a lot to, to accomplish. Risa Wolf will be able to tell you how to do it. So let's do a couple of housekeeping things here. You know what I like to do. My shout-outs to my Lorna, my beautiful Lorna, my beautiful Dune, and Mr. Monk and the sports car, and Kaylee, my beautiful Kaylee, my big kahuna, Tag the artist, my dancer, and my violinist, and Dr. Pepper. All of you, and a special shout-out to Laura, Lenny, Jackie, Melissa, Andrew, and AZ. You know who you are, and you know I love you all. 
Movies, well, did go to the movies this week, but I finally got around to seeing Batman the Dark Knight on, I think I have Showtime on Demand now as part of my little arrangement with Cablevision. I thought it was amazingly violent and dark, and Heath Ledger was off the charts. It's so sad to see him in his last film, I believe, before he OD'd. What a waste. Very talented man, very spooky character, the Joker, but so it is for posterity. Now, let's see. I want to thank Laura as well. Laura, again, not only for being my friend and calling me the gorgeous red, but Laura sent me a scam alert. Apparently, it's not a new one. It's been around since 1997. Someone calls you on the phone and says, I'm with the Visa or MasterCard Security and Fraud Department. They'll give you a badge number, and they'll tell you that there was an unusual purchase on your card. The purchase might have been for $497.99 from some company in Arizona. When you say no, they'll say, we'll credit your account. And what they really want from you is for you to read the three-digit security code off the back of your credit card. Then they're the ones who end up ultimately putting the purchase on your card, and then, woof, they're gone. So anybody calls you asking for security information on the phone, do not answer. Ladies and gentlemen, do not answer. It's a scam. Don't become a victim. It's June 24th today. Birthdays on a happier note. Let's see. Glenn Medeiros, the singer. I have no clue he is, but he was born today in 1970. Happy birthday, Glenn. Joe Penny, the actor in 56. Jeff Beck, the musician, 1944. Mick Fleetwood, 1942. Michelle Lee, the actress, could be the sister of Mick Fleetwood, both born today in 1942. Let's see who else we have. Jack Carter, the, the comedian from way, way back, 1923. John Chiardi, the poet. I used to read his poetry. 1916, Norman Cousins, 1912. And Jack Dempsey, the boxer, 1895. But I want you to know that Ambrose Bierce was born today in 1842. And Ambrose Bierce is an author, and I think he's widely quoted on all of the quote sites. He must have said some very pithy things. Okay, I'm done. Time for me to take a breath here and bring you my first special guest. As I said, she's not an author, doesn't have a book, but she knows something that you need to know about your life. You need a way to preserve your memories. Yes, you do. Carol Coleman. Welcome to Read My Lips. How are you today, Carol? I'm doing great, Bonnie. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thanks for being my guest. And, Carol, I have to give the website now. I was so tickled. I went to pull up your site before I logged into the show, and here is the beautiful, just gorgeous collage you made for me in full glory, great picture, and a lovely tribute to me in the show in advance of your being on tonight. And I'm I'm very honored, Carol. So let me give the website so people can go see it. It's HTTP. You all know that part. Let's get to the www.carol, C-A-R-O-L, Coleman, C-O-L-M-A-N, collages, C-O-L-L-A-G-E-S.com. So that's carolcolemancollages.com, then forward slash and the word blog, B-L-O-G. And you will see me, Radio Red, and it's my avatar drawn for me by an advertising agency, a creative agency, actually, I work with in my day job at SAP. So, Carol, Tell me, who is the real Carol Coleman? How did you get into this interesting line of work? Let's start with that. The real Carol Coleman started out as an economist, if you can believe it. No, and I have it's no been I quite a long and winding road to get from, from there to here. Um, I I worked as a transportation and management consultant for many years, but a few years ago, I started selling invitations as a fundraiser for a local organization. And one day I had a client who I was working with a, her on an invitation for a younger daughter's bat mitzvah. And she said, you know, my older daughter got this beautiful invitation collage as a gift, and the woman isn't in business anymore. Do you know anybody who could do something like that? Whoa. Let me take a look at it. So she brought it over, and my jaw just dropped because this was about the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And then I said, after I caught my breath, I said, oh, wow, I think I could do that. And the reason I thought I could do that was that after having sold invitation for a number of years, I had been in people's heads, and I kind of knew how much emotion and personality was invested into invitations. Mm -hmm. People don't take them lightly. There's a lot of... There's a lot of emotion loaded into them. And I also had gotten schooled in the techniques of modern scrapbooking by a friend of mine who was selling supplies. So I went to ah. I went to a class. And, and these two interests, I suddenly saw how they could come together. And I said, yeah, I think I could do that. So I did, and she was thrilled. And then my daughter said, I want one. <laughs> so I made one. And then someone said, Gee, I wish this had been around when my daughter got married, and then the light bulb went off, and I thought maybe yes. there's a business here. And there so is. at now, that what, point, what I made up. Start? 
What year was all I started in, in about 2006. I, I made up some samples, and I went to an event planning show that was focused on weddings and bar and bat mitzvahs and first communions and all kinds of events. And I got a lot of positive feedbacks, and I thought, I think there's a business here. So I started it as a side business and really continued it as a side business until I got laid off from my last full-time job last mm-hmm. September, and I said, I think the message here is that I should really focus on my artwork and that this is the time in my life when I should be doing this full-time. So now I'm working at it full-time and loving every minute of it. I I think a lot of people would envy you, admire, yes, envy, yes, 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 because you know what they say, if you do what you love, you'll never really work a day in your life if you're working at something you love. And it sounds like you love it, Carol. Now, I love the idea that you brought up scrapbooking because I was going to ask you that. And the reason is that recently on my TV show, something to talk about, we were live, we were live every other Tuesday tomorrow. So two weeks ago on a Tuesday, I welcomed two ladies who call themselves the Scrappy Sisters. And uh, it's, it's Helen Gould and Kay Gould-Suchman. And they're both friends of mine because they were on the show almost a year before on my TV show. And they are scrapbookers and they go to the conventions and they sell supplies, but they also do their scrapping at the conventions and create beautiful, beautiful collages while they're there. Some of them they sell, some of them they make into kits. So are you part of that world, Carol Coleman? No, I'm really leaning more towards the event planning world. Uh, What I'm working on now in this iteration of my business is really trying to connect with the people who are organizing events. And I, I, I think that every event that has an invitation, that invitation should be immortalized in a, in a Carol Coleman collage. So I'm, I'm really trying to find the people who are hiring help with their celebrations, and I want the planners to see this as another piece of service that they could offer to their clients. When their clients are buying invitations, they right. could be buying one of my collages as part of a package or they could be giving the collage as a thank you gift to their clients. I think that's a really wonderful idea, and I've gotten some very positive response from event planners in that area. So, so it I'm, sounds I'm like you're to... looking at a, a pre-event service, meaning before the wedding. Well, well the invitation is obviously going out rather than years later. What are you digging out of the back of the garage or the closet or the attic, as I said in my intro? So you're looking to make it top of mind and part of the event itself rather than years later. Would that be your... Well, would that that's... Be your... That's half of the business. The other half of the business is the general public who gets invited to a wedding or who is celebrating a 20th anniversary or a 50th or even I did a 70th wedding anniversary. So there's, I like to say there's no expiration date on memory. So I'm happy to help anybody out. And I'm just trying to look for the people who are are really connected into the event world because this is a little out-of-the-box thing. It's not something that people check off, you know, I need my DJ, I need my flowers, I need my caterer. They know they need invitations in most cases, but they usually don't think about preserving it. And really, once the food is eaten and the band has gone home and and the flower arrangements are no longer there – among the few things you have left that's tangible is your invitation, which is why I think it makes such a perfect keystone for, for memories and it such does. a great gift. Now let's talk about, I'm looking at your one sheet here you handed me when I met you at the summit, and uh, obviously I think you are uh, a guru at invitations. And let's talk about what invitations are going to make good keepsakes and what should you do with the invitation. In other words, you're thinking of the invitation as just rather something to get people to your event, bar mitzvah, wedding, graduation, retirement, anything, a baby shower, anything. So rather than thinking of it as just a way to get people to come and respond to the invitation, think of it as something that can be preserved. So you say 10 tips for making sure your invitations are memorable for all the right reasons. And I can think of some reasons why they're memorable for all the wrong reasons. Would you mind taking us through some of those tips, Carol? I think that would be fun. I think I think that would be fun. First of all, you really want to take the time to see or feel an invitation in person. It's great to go shopping online for invitations to get ideas, but the feel of an invitation, paper can range from flimsy to almost feeling like um 
like wood, very heavy, thick cardstock. And the feel of an invitation is going to is is the first impression people have even before they look at it. So you don't want to spend a lot of money and find out that the the paper that you're precious invitation is being printed on is very flimsy. So you want to be sure that you either order a sample or you go to a real stationer and you're able to to feel the paper that it's going to be printed on. Another thing that I think is very important is to make sure that the information is correct. Proofread, proofread, proofread. I tell people, read from the bottom up and read each line backwards because the most well-read people will have the year wrong or they'll have a date wrong or they'll yes. leave out a letter in an important word. Yes. So proofreading is is critical. <laughs> and Carol, another thing when you're proofreading is have somebody who's never seen it before look at it, somebody who speaks, reads, and writes well, who knows punctuation, capitalization. Even if your style is unusual like all lowercase or something different, ask them to read it even if they've never seen it before. And that sometimes, that extra set of eyes, we call it, is the best way to proofread because you and I both know, Carol, and, and many many of my listeners may also know, that when you write or compose something for text, you see it the way you think it would be. Even if there's an error in it, you will not be the likely one to see the error. So get a fresh set of eyes. Oh, that's 100% true. I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And as a side story, uh, when I sold invitations, I always used to make my clients sign off on the proof in writing uh, because yes. I didn't want there to be any misunderstanding. And in one case, there was a typo that got by everybody. Mm. Uh, it mm. got by the bride and groom. It got by me. <gasps> it was the second wedding, and... It was a very informal affair, and nobody caught it until she sent out the invitations and somebody found it. And I said, I hope you have it within you to find this humorous and be able to laugh about it, because if it took this many people to find it, not a lot of people are going to see it. That's right. Can I ask how bad it was, Carol? What was it? Um, It was in the word respond, the the first S was missing, so it said repond. (laughs) Oh, and for the God's truth sake. is, except for the sister of the bride, nobody else nobody mentioned it. it. No, because no, they weren't looking at that. They were looking exactly. at, the, at the names. Yes, yes. Okay, give us another tip. These are good. Another tip is to look through invitation books with an open mind. You might be looking through a book where you think you you can't afford this particular line of stationery. And I, I always advise people to at least do some shopping at a physical store because a good stationery dealer can be your best friend. That's That's really critical. And what you want to do is get inspired. If you... And you want to look at the capital letters of fonts because there are certain letters like I and L and S that in different fonts are going to look very different. So even if it's just for inspiration, if it's an invitation you can't afford or is you think is very cheap looking but you like the font, figure, figure out what it is and make note of it because that's going to – Fonts have feelings, and the fonts that are used or the combination of fonts that are Very used well is really going to express your personality as part of the invitation. Very, very well put. And those of you who are not familiar with the word font, it's the same as typeface. Do the letters have a little curlicue on the bottom? Do the, that's a serif. Do the letters go straight up and down and hit the line? Bang! That's a sans serif. You don't have to study it. You don't have to be a printer. You don't have to be in the graphic design business, but... It pays to know if somebody says, you will, do you want serif or non-serif, serif, serif, non-serif? You should know or ask them to explain it. Don't let anything get past you and don't have to do all the work. You're right about working face-to-face with a real printer or stationer, at least to understand what the options are, Carol. Very well done. Let me ask you a question about that. If you're sending out a massive number, let's say you're inviting 350 people to a wedding, which seems massive to me, 350 people to a wedding, and out of those, that would mean at least 200 invitations because many people are so low. That's quite an investment, isn't it, Carol? It certainly is. And 
a good dealer can help you make the most of your budget if you're trying to limit it on invitations. When I sold invitations, when I had people with budget crunch, I would steer them toward this particular invitation that felt extremely expensive but was not and could be really customized with all kinds of different designs. So again, a good stationary dealer is your is your best friend for this. And if you if you can't find somebody local, if you're in a rural area or you just can't travel, do go online and do some searching, but request samples. Never yeah. order an invitation that you haven't felt in your hand, because I'm telling you, it can be shocking how flimsy some paper can feel, and that, that takes away from the whole feeling. Yep. It's the cheap alert. You're absolutely right. Same with books. Question yep. for you. As we go more and more plunging headfirst into our digital world, Carol Coleman, and some younger people might say, well, it's really cool. I'll send out email invitations so they can make it as fancy as I want. Nobody ever has to touch it. It'll be a PDF so I can put everything, every design, every element, every font, whatever, and make it absolutely stunning with photos. Should those people, if that's their trend and their social set, should they still think about having at least one handmade so they can preserve it because nobody's going to want to 50 years from now go and dig up a PDF, I think. Oh, I, I would definitely say that that's true. And there is at least one company, and I have no affiliation with them, but I'm going to tell you they're called Paperless Post. And okay. they have now partnered with Crane, which is one of the all-time yes. stationary names, yes. so that you can do a combination of e-invitations and printed invitations. Because even if you're doing email invitations, you know, there's a generation that may not be wired, and those people, you don't want to exclude them from being invited to your ceremony, particularly if they're in your family. So it's a great way to get a combination. And a number of the, uh, I know a number of the other online invitation uh, specialists are offering a printed copy. Um, but I think you really, if it's a formal event, such as a wedding, mm-hmm. I, I really think you need to stay on paper. I think with with e-invitations, there can be delivery issues, there can be response issues. I don't think you can ever go wrong by going to paper. And I think there are ways to keep the cost down so that the formality of the occasion is kept, but you're able to, to not have this blow your budget in, in a way that's not going to be helpful to you as you're planning your whole celebration. Very good point, and it just occurred to me that one of our very loyal listeners, Laura, on Long Island, is planning a wedding for her daughter for next year. I think they've already looked at dresses, so Laura, heads up if you're listening to this. Think about something memorable from Carol Coleman when you get that invitation. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Carol, give us another, let's see, it's 22 after. We have another eight minutes before we bring on Dr. Risa Wolf. So give us another one or two tips, or is there anything else you want to tell us about your business? And You know what? Enough tips. Let's let's switch here. Let's do a segue. I want to know how do you figure out what your customer will like, Carol, in the collage? How do you do you ask them for their favorite colors? Do you ask them if they like silk versus satin versus grosgrain ribbon? Do you ask them if they want a modern frame or a, a contrast frame, something out of an interesting material? Uh is the cost based on the frame and the matting and the ribbons and, and the amount of work? How do you how do you price it and how do you get to know your client really well before you commit to the design, Carol? Well, that's a great question, Bonnie. I'm so glad you asked. Remember that the client is often giving this as a gift. So okay. the the client is not the person who is ultimately going to be receiving this, and that's really ah. important to remember. Okay. Because some people say to me, oh, it's such a plain invitation, or I don't like it. And I say, don't worry, I'll take care of it. <laughs> And I'm going to turn it into something gorgeous, and it, and I always do. Because what I really do is look at the invitation. The invitation tells me the story, and it's that invitation background that I have that allows me to interpret it. I read the font. I read the paper. I read any motifs that are on there. I, I It tells me everything that I need to know. And if the invitation is, for example, say it's got navy blue ink on cream paper, and they, the person who's buying it is is the best friend of the bride, and she's giving this to her as a gift. And she says, she's always loved ballerina pink. Can you add that into the collage? Only with specific requests like that will I add an extra color. 
Otherwise, okay. I will stick exactly to the palette of the invitation. And I will really interpret the invitation and prepare a draft that I will take a picture of and send to my clients and say, what do you think? Okay. And we usually will have a discussion about the frame, but 99% of the times people will respect my opinion. Okay. Um, and and when we don't, I'm going to give the client the right away because I want them to be happy. Of course. But we're usually going to have a discussion about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I really I want people to um, to feel comfortable like they're part of it, but I also want to feel like if they want to leave the whole thing to me, they can. But mm-hmm. I just ask them to sign off on the draft, and then I take care of everything else, gift wrapping, shipping, whatever. And well, I know you do a I, very good job because mine came wrapped immaculately and impeccably, and it took it was almost in a fortress of wrapping. It took me quite a while <laughs> to, to disencumber the collage and the frame from the packing. You did a gorgeous job on the packing as well, Carol. I must tell people this is safe. Carol, what, what, uh, what age market are we looking at in terms of your – currently most popular client? In other words, your most frequent client would be what? Somebody in the corporate world in their 40s or 50s, uh, kids in their 25 to 30 range getting married for the first time, uh, divorcees tying the knot a second or third time. Who, who, where, Where is your marketplace? I would say right now I'm about evenly divided between first weddings but the the ages of the brides and grooms can vary wildly. I just got a call today from somebody who said some of their friends who've been together for 20 years are now getting married. Um, wow. I also do a lot of bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, uh, close friends of bar and bat mitzvah families love to give these, and kids actually love to get them. They, my clients really? keep saying they get thank you notes saying the, the the girls and the boys love them. It's their favorite gift, and they're going to decorate their rooms around them. So, really? so right now that yes, <laughs> that's very exciting. So a thirteen year old is a is a very happy recipient of a collage. Isn't that interesting? Yes, wow. it, it's fascinating, especially when I hear it from the boys. And when I when I have a 14-year-old boy look at his present and say, that's awesome, I think that's really cool. It's beyond really – well, it's cool because it's spelled K-E-W-L, if you'll forgive me. That's right. It's like cool. Cool beans. cool beans, as my daughter used to say. Yes, I think she still does. That That is really, really cool. We have four minutes left until we bring on Dr. Risa Wolf. Risa, I'm putting you on notice here. So, Carol – what would you want people to think about? Let's go back to, to square one here. When they're designing an invitation for posterity, whether you use a, a Carol Coleman collage or not, what is the main thing in terms of the design? And let me let me do a little level setting here, if I may, Carol. I've received. I don't go to an awful lot of weddings. That's not the not the age group, or and I don't know a lot of people whose kids are getting married. But sometimes friends of friends will invite me to go as the as the lovely person in the room or as their dance partner, and it's always fun. And I see the invitations, and some of them have little pink bows on them, and they have little flowers on them, and they have gold edging, and others are just plain on cream paper with just a beautiful border and very simple. And I know sometimes the people whose invitations are very simple are very wealthy, and they just don't want the frou-frou and the fra-fra and all of that. So does how do how do you see the trends in invitations? Let's talk about weddings in particular. The wedding invitation trend, Carol Coleman, from your vantage point is what today? I would say there actually is a return to formality. Um people are are it, it, there's a there's a double-edged sword. There's a a, a return to the use of formal scripts, formal ink, and interestingly, a lot of people think that the Great Gatsby movie is having a big effect on on weddings and celebrations and invitation trends. So that's a huge trend right now. But an opposite trend of that is kind of the rustic wedding, where the invitation is full of leaves or birch trees or other kinds of natural motifs, and it might be printed on a craft paper, and it might be using greens and deep purples or oranges um so there's there's you can really go in any direction what you want to do is find something that i always used to tell my clients it's got to sing to you it's got to it's got to feel really mm-hmm. right that it's going to express your personality and so that when you look at it 10 15 20 years from now you're still going to feel i made the right choice that represented me interesting interesting i'm, I'm thinking of one little wrinkle here when you have uh Marriages of children 
where the parents are divorced and they're with different last names and different partnerships. I know this is not what you get into, but I've seen some rather awkward where it might be Smith would be the married name, so it would be Mrs. Jones, Ms. Jones Smith and Mr. Bob Smith. They're no longer the Smiths. <laughs> They're no longer the Smiths, but she kept her last name. She has not remarried, or she retained the last name for the sake of the kids. So you, you see on that line, and you're always wondering, well, who? Who are these people? Who's married? Who's not? Interesting in tell-all. When you say, Carol, these invitations are very revealing about current marital status, family status, uh, the uh, how the tribe is configured, if I may. Yes, they definitely they definitely are, and it can be very re- very revealing, or it can actually be very hidden. And it, it's interesting in the case of a bar mitzvah, where the parents are divorced. Quite often, it, we used to write invitations that would say, "Please join me in my family," and it would be signed by the kid. Oh, wow. So there's there's a lot of creative things that you can do, and again, a great stationery dealer can help, and I'm always happy to answer these kinds of questions because I I solved these problems for many years, so get help if you have any questions. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, it's time for us, too. We're not going to say goodbye. We're going to shift gears here, so let's give out the website I believe you want me to give out is carolcolemancollages.com. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Okay. I'm going to spell it again because I love to spell. C-A-R-O-L. C-O-L-M-A-N-C-O-L-L-A-G-E-S dot com. Carol Coleman Collages, plural dot com. If you put a forward slash after the com and you type in B-L-O-G, you will see the blog with a avatar of Radio Red. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Carol. It's been delightful getting to know you, and I'm going to ask you now if you would do me the honor of helping me welcome Risa Wolf. Risa, I'm going to unmute her line, and Carol Coleman and I are going to say on the count of three, welcome Dr. Risa Wolf. Are you ready, Carol Coleman? I am ready. Okay, honey, let's do it. One, two, three. Welcome, welcome Dr. Dr. Risa Wolf. Wolf. Hi, Risa. It's the Bonnie and Carol Show. How are you? I feel welcomed. Thank you. <laughs> Said like a true PhD, you're a psychologist, right? Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, very, very good. Risa, you've been listening. I know you probably have a lot of questions or comments for Carol Coleman. The two of you did not meet at the Publicity Summit in New York because I think one of you I had to rearrange the date. So you're probably on different parts of my massive line that stretched out halfway down the ballroom. I'm delighted to have you on the show today, Risa Wolf. So, Risa, why don't you chat with Carol Coleman for just a minute? Any questions or comments? Go ahead. Well, thanks for this opportunity. As soon as you said the website, I went on it, and what a great collage you did for Miss Red here. It's really <laughs> Thank you. That sounds like Miss Red, but it's Miss Red, Ms. Red. And it's just absolutely lovely. What a clever, unique idea, and I really like the way you spoke about what you do, too. Thank you very much, Risa. I, I'm, I'm, as they say, passionate about it um, because I find that the work just flows through me. Honestly, I look at my work sometimes and I say, "How did I do that? I don't even know. <laughs> it just happens." Mm-hmm. And that, yeah. oh, you, Carol, that yeah. goes back to what I mentioned, and and I think Risa will agree that when you love what you do and you do it for your living or as your living, it's not work. It's your passion, and you feel privileged to be able to earn a living with something you love that much. So good. That's That's wonderful. That's very true. So Carol Coleman, we're going to shift gears a little bit here. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes or so talking. I'm not putting you on mute. You'll stay on with us live. I will bring you into the conversation. But now it's time to find out how my listeners can become the speaker you've always wanted to be. And Dr. Risa Wolf has new techniques that make it easier and faster. Her book is Executive Speaking in a Weekend. Step-by-step templates for, here's the key, commanding respect and creating results. Welcome, Risa. How are you today? I am doing very well. Thank you. Good. Well, thanks for sending me the book. And you sent me the ebook, which is really cool because I took some notes in it. But you told me, Bonnie, take a look at the cartoons. And I know they're Randy Glassbergen, if that's how he mm-hmm. pronounces his name. And uh, an old friend of mine used to send me Glassbergen or Glassbergen joke cartoons all the time. So, 
Clever, clever, clever. So how did you go about finding the right ones for your book? Did you go through a, a compilation of Glassbergen and just say, well, that'll fit page 42 and that'll fit page 55? Or did you write and write and write and say, there must be a cartoon for this? Talk to me. I saw some of his cartoons. He does a lot of cartoons that are office and business-based. Mm-hmm. I saw some that I went, oh, that would be perfect for this chapter and that chapter. But then, in addition to that, I took some of his his visuals and I wrote the, the captions myself. Really? Yeah, for very, example, very. there's one that talks about the, the chapter is on uh, being prepared and not wasting people's time. And when you begin to speak, one thing not to do, and I just heard this the other day, you don't want to start with, hi, I, um, I'm not really the one who is supposed to speak today. Oh, crap. Didn't really care, <laughs> but it's kind of a beginning of a migraine, a little dementia. But, um, oh. Well, here I am. You don't want to do that. I put that as one of the captions of the cartoon. Oh, my God. That would be an OMG of the, of the 90,000th degree. That's amazing. What about the one on your website? And your website is Executive Speaking in a Weekend, E-X-E-C-U-T-I-V-S. P-E-K-I-N-G-I-N-A-W-E-E-K-E-N-D.com. You don't run out of breath by the end of that one. Uh-huh. Thank God for long URLs. Is this one uh, where the, the boss is looking at this guy who's in his tie and he's leaning back in the chair and he says, would you mind addressing the annual meeting in 10 minutes? And you can see the OMG come, almost coming out of his head. Did you add the caption for that one? No, that one actually, you know what, I think I did write that one, come to think of it. And um, I found, well, <laughs> I have a, a habit of coming up with website names and URLs that are uh, similar to executive speaking in a weekend. I wanted to name that my book, and I wanted to name that the site, because after two days of training, people were just excellent. And it dawned on me, well, this is kind of special to make someone go from a good speaker to being a great speaker in such a short time. That was the name of it. And then my name, W-O-O-L-F, I also have listed five different ways because it's like Virginia Woolf, but no one can remember. So pretty much um, if uh, if people write executive speaking in a weekend in any variation on a theme, my book and my website it. will come up. And I have Very lots of cartoons cool. on, the web, on the website, too. You're very, very cool. So let's talk about who is the real Dr. Risa Wolf. Would you please stand up and tell us a little bit about your background? How did you come to get in this business of coaching people? I see here you've got 20 years of expertise. I know you earned a Ph.D. You have over 3,000 clients. That's a lot of clients, Risa. So talk to me. Who is the real Dr. Risa Wolf? Let's start there. Well, I'll tell you that there are certain people that I've always noticed when they walk in a room, everyone turns and looks at them. And particularly when they speak at a meeting, everyone listens to them from the beginning to the end. I decided to study those people. I am one of those people, and I dissected what is it that we do that can pull people in. And what I've done is to teach each subtlety of that. For example, it's not enough to make eye contact. You have to make eye contact in different parts of the room and stay in one part of the room for maybe maybe three to five seconds as you're speaking because even if the boss is there, we and we tend to talk only to the boss, we don't want to lose others because it's awfully hard to get people back. Right. So, I so it's an inclusionary parts. types of things. Yes, you, you go into the nuances Absolutely. and very well, I might add. I think it's a lot for a weekend. So as I said in my intro, <laughs> Don't plan anything else for that weekend. You're just going to be sitting down with that book and taking notes and writing all over the place and figuring out what you need to do. So for whom is this book intended? What's your your chosen audience, Risa Wolf? Is it the new speaker? Is it the scared speaker? Is it the, oh, my God, I'd rather be in the coffin than giving the eulogy? Excuse me, that's a terrible joke. Uh, who, is, who is the intended audience that you had in mind when you wrote the book? Well, I typically train individual executives who – surprisingly will say to me, you know, I've been speaking for years, but I never really felt comfortable with it. I know I'm not that good, and can I see you on a Saturday? <laughs> because they don't want anyone to know they're being coached. And also uh-huh. sales sales teams and management teams, it's kind of important that people really do represent a company properly. And public speaking training is something that uh, in, in the corporate world is not really uh, uh, an it's not really negotiable. It really is a necessity. I agree. I agree. And it's something you're expected to have. It's a skill you're expected to come with, but we all know not everybody has it. And that expectation can be uh, 
shall we say, can just go go up and smoke very quickly the first time the executive opens their mouth if they're a really awful speaker or they just don't have a good style if they're not comprehensible, they can't be understood regardless of the nuances of their speaking style, their accent, if they have a non-English accent. If they have certain American accents, they can be hard to understand. They might use what I love to call the, the filler words. I noticed you noticed you included that. I t- I've taught some speaking seminars for my company as well, Risa, and and I understand uh, it's not easy to teach people to break the habit because we are all in a speaking mode every time we open our mouth, whether we're going to the grocery store or whether we're telling the kids where to where to put their boots or whether we're having a conference with their teacher or whether we're at the PTA meeting. We're all doing some kind of speaking, and we have our habits. So how hard is it, Risa, in the executive mode for you to call attention to somebody's less than stellar, less than positive attention-getting speaking habits and break those habits without getting a bottle broken over your head? Hmm. I find that most people I see and most people who are in the corporate world or even people who are um, um, uh, just um, staying at home and having a full life, going to the PTA and being on the boards and things like this, that most people are good. But when they feel they want to be better or, you know, if the boss says, you know, this would be part of your professional growth, I think you should take this seminar, I begin by taping people. When they see themselves introducing themselves and they are often surprised. I didn't know I did that with my hands. I didn't know that I only looked at one side of the room or I didn't know that I did the tango when I talk. When people are taped and see themselves, they usually come back very motivated and my style of teaching is to teach, have them try it out, teach, have them try it out. The next time I, I tape them, they're so improved that it's motivating to do the new things. That's the motivation. Interesting. And I noticed that your Ph.D. is in psychology, so you certainly have a background in being able to understand the whys and the wherefores and the hows and the whatnots of, of personalities and of fears to be able to help people get to it. Does some of your coaching sessions end up being like a therapy session, Risa? Actually, I do a piece on anxiety reduction because it's normal to be fearful when we speak. That's a typical yes. thing. It's it's really in our DNA to be fearful when we're away from the whole crowd and people are looking at us. But if it goes into anxiety, then I help people to look at what is it that's causing that. It doesn't have to it isn't actually therapy. It's what are you currently doing that's making yourself crazy. It's fascinating how quickly uh, not only can they shift out of anxiety, but also it's permanent. I use the work of Dr. Albert Ellis, who uh-huh. did a lot about uh, not doing deep psychotherapy, and I don't like that uh-huh. anyway. I got the psychology degree simply to help people to deal with their issues at work and um, the public speaking issues. Interesting, interesting. Now, Speaking about public speaking issues, something most of us don't pay attention to because we don't have the presence or the extra bandwidth, if I may say it that way, to pay attention to our body cues, our body language. And you talk about on page 12 of your book in Chapter 3, look confident even when you don't feel it. You talk about body language congruence. Now, this is different from eye contact. I know it has to do with presenting that confident image even if you're not quite feeling it, in the way your body is positioned, your posture, your hands, your legs, your your head. Talk to us a little bit, please, Dr. Risa Wolf, about what do you find is the biggest mistake or dead giveaway somebody who's nervous will give out, even if they're speaking nicely, speaking well and speaking at a good pace and they have good language skills and they know how to do the eye contact. What could be belying their fears? Risa? Mm. I'll give you a takeaway that everyone can use immediately, and that is uh-huh. to have your face match your message. Sometimes people will say, this is a very good idea to buy this software. It's really going to make our return on investment uh, excellent for the next quarter. But no, they have this somber face and this somber voice. Right. Instead, if they actually, and not to have a big, wide smile, but a small grin to say the same exact words, have their voice animate, though this is going to save us a lot of money in the first quarter or whatever I said, then when the face and the voice matches, it's much more believable. Okay. And what about what do you do with your hands? What do you do with your 
feet. Feet in particular, if you're sitting, I, I recently hosted, as I said in my intro, I hosted a customer roundtable on stage in an auditorium in a beautiful corporate complex in Pennsylvania last week, and I made sure, well, I've done enough of this. I knew what to, how to dress and how to position myself. Uh, but what do you do with your feet? Some people are prone to tapping, hands. What do you do with your hands? Do you hold your nose? I was holding my iPad because my questions for the panel were on the iPad, so I didn't have to touch paper, which I find Tense paper is flimsy, as Carol Coleman knows. We'll talk about that later. But uh, I, I, I anchored my hands with the iPad and needed to keep that alive rather than let the screen go dormant. So I had a little bit of work to do. But what do people? What should you do with your feet if your feet are visible, Risa? What do you do with your feet? We always say with hands to pardon me, not not fidget, and that is mm-hmm. if we turn our ring around, if we're touching our hair, if we're touching our clothes. Right. It's almost the same thing with feet. You don't want them to be noticed. If I'm sitting in a chair, I won't fold my legs like one knee over the other knee. I don't like that look, actually. I, I prefer crossing at the ankles and just leaving them still. If, what, if I'm standing, I will stand still. Sometimes before an important point, I might take a few steps, but then once I get to the new location, I will stand still again. So it's pretty much I want people's attention on your listeners when they speak. I want people's attention on their face on their visual, on their handout, those are the only locations I want people looking. If you have your hands in your pocket and you move your hands, that's where people are going to look. I'd rather they look at your face. Good point. Now, I want to go to the section on what to do when you lose the audience's attention. This implies, this requires that you pay attention to the audience. It's not just about you reading your notes, reading your slides, reciting your PowerPoints, flipping a switch so that things, different visuals come up on the screen. You have to, how important is it, Risa, for the presenter to pay attention to the audience and what cues should you look for? The only thing a speaker is responsible for is transferring information to the listeners and watching the listeners to see, is it working? Is it working now? Is Oh, it, well, they look interesting. Oh, they look a little bit bored. The only way that anyone can do that is by rehearsing, having good notes, and practicing ahead of time. Because if you get used to you, if you get used to your material, if you get used to the timing of when to put on a visual and then when to begin speaking again, when all of that is more fluent, then I can look up, look at people, and capture what messages they're sending to me. If we are losing an audience, it's important to stop, check in with them, and make sure that you're giving them what they're interested in. Because if you don't, not only are people bored, but they also think, what was wrong with that guy? He could not. Could he not see we were getting up and leaving and playing with our phones? <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Very, very interesting. Should you ever just stop talking and say, hey, you guys look really bored. What have I done? What am I not giving you? Can you just come right out and say that, or do you have to say it a little more formally than that, Risa? Well, I would say the second half of that, which is I'm going to stop for a moment. I want to be sure that our time together is valuable for you. I don't know if I'm giving you information that's too technical, not technical enough. Did someone yesterday give you the same information? Let me stop for a moment and have you make suggestions of what you're interested in hearing. People really appreciate that because you've shown them the respect of not wasting their time. Okay, and let's talk about, and I'm, I'm scattering this all over the place because your book had so many interesting points, but I, I don't, since I can't see my audience's mood, I don't know what's of interest to them. So I want to cover what I thought were some of the high points, Risa. You say confident speakers make mistakes. Therefore, I take that as meaning don't aspire to pure perfection or you're going to jump off a cliff or a, or a balcony because you didn't ace it completely. So what kinds of mistakes do even confident, mature practiced and comfortable speakers make, Risa? What have you seen in your experience? I would say the typical mistakes are perhaps starting a sentence or starting a word, changing their mind and beginning it over again. That's fine. Or tripping over a word, fixing that word and going on. There are many parts of our work we have to do exactly right. But in public speaking or any kind of speaking, we make mistakes. It's a sure thing. Rather than being upset or bothered or startled by the mistake, just Correct it, keep speaking. 
Okay. I used to say to one of my dance partners year ago, for, years ago, for God's sake, don't stop and say, oh, my God, I led you into the wrong step in the cha-cha. I said, just keep dancing. <laughs> Nobody notices anyway. Just keep dancing, damn it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just keep dancing. Okay. Let's see now here. Um here, okay, you you come right out and say a tip in that chapter. You say, since you will make mistakes, aiming for speaking perfection is an absurd goal. Absolutely, we've covered the eye, we've covered the body language. Let me see what I want to cover next. I'm going to bring Carol Coleman in on this for a moment. Carol, you've been listening, I know. Any any experiences you'd like to share with speaking? Because I met you at the Publicity Summit, and I know you met a lot of people in that four-day period. Uh, did you have any issues with what really was public speaking, even if it was just one-on-one? Because you had to rehearse, as Risa did, a two-and-a-half-minute pitch. So anything you experienced that you'd like to share with us? Uh, well, I would like to say that um, the help that the summit provided, the training that was provided for us in and getting ready for the summit and how to do the pitching was very valuable. And it, it touched on, I, I think Risa would, would agree, a lot of the things that that she would talk about in terms of being confident and not being afraid to make a mistake and, and trying to pick up on the cues of your listeners and if, in case you need to change direction a little bit. I think that's I think that's all really important. Um, I I have a question for Risa, and my question Please. is: I'm I'm somebody who's who's actually pretty confident about speaking, and and have always enjoyed it. And I wanted to know if you have any tips on how somebody like me, who's kind of doing something new and would like to be talking about it more, could find ways and places to get more speaking engagements. Well, actually, I wanted to compliment you. I listened to your conversation before I came on, and what I loved about what you did was to you painted pictures in the listener's mind, certainly in my mind, I'll speak for myself, and that is that when you said the wedding invitation is something that people kept and you don't want to pick it up at the in the attic at the end of the I mean all of those stories and all of that, that picture description really resonated and, and appears inside the movie screen inside my brain and other people's brains I'm sure too. It was really absolutely wonderful. I would say to you that it's bride expos and places where your demographic hangs out. I would. It's probably worth actually doing a booth and then um, asking. I would probably work the room and see who other uh, what the other vendors do as far as putting together uh, uh, an informal little uh, um, kind of convention. Um, what's it called? A uh, trade show like that. That's mm-hmm. that's off the top of. Interesting. Risa, you're still there? Risa? Oh, yes. Okay, oh, yes. you cut off, cut off at the end of a word there. I definitely didn't want to lose you. Thank you, Carol, for that. And I'm going to hit on something here that I'd like to get your opinion on, Risa. I think it's very important, and people simply don't know. Clothing, and this is not for the virtual speaker, which I do very often and which we're doing today. My show is Read My Lips, so you can't tell what I'm wearing. I happen to be looking really, really good today, but you can't see it. You can only imagine. So clothing, we're talking about in-person, face-to-face audience or conference room types of events. So you say here, Risa Wolf, be strategic. If you are ambitious, dress like the bosses so it's easy for them to envision you in the next higher position. Now my question to you, and I have one more on on dress. My question to you, Risa Wolf, is today so many people dress so much more casually than they used to. Is it a question if it's business casual, God forbid, in a conference, would you aspire to having the right brand of clothes, whereas it might not be the tie and the suit anymore, it might be the right type of loafers or the right style of shirt? How do you know how to dress up if people are dressing much more casually than they used to, Risa? I think that you hit it on the head, and that is dressing up. Even though I might be wearing slacks and a shirt because I said, oh, you definitely should look more casual, it's obvious when I walk in the room that I'm either a speaker or somebody. I don't have on uh, anything that's particularly faddish. I don't have on any extreme colors. I want to be sure that people's attention is on my message and not on my clothing. I don't wear any really outstandingly interesting jewelry because I want to look professional. I want to look like I'm smart. And I tend to dress a little bit more conservatively in my business dress than in my personal life or 
any other times. I, everyone has costumes, so to speak, in yes. different parts of their lives. In, and at work, I like to definitely look the role. Very good. And and I want to also call out here, you said something very interesting. Uh, I think Carol Coleman will find this of interest. Risa, you say in your book, eyeglasses are a way to appear up to date, even if you don't need all of the lenses or the, the bifocals, you could have one set of clear and then something, your, your reading glasses perhaps on the bottom lens. But eyeglasses, so this is seen as a positive even if you don't need them? Is this something you, you should make part of your business look, Risa? Actually, I'm only referring to people who need reading glasses only. Oh, and that okay. is there are people who will either put their reading glasses in the middle of their nose and peer over them, which <laughs> is a look I care for, or they will put the reading glasses on, off, on, off, on, off, which can get distracting as they go around the ear the wrong place. It's only for those people that I suggest getting a pair of glasses that are clear on the top of a bifocal and have the reading glasses on the bottom. Oh, no, you don't have to wear glasses to look smart. That was, I think, about uh, several years ago. Remember when they were actually suggesting that you that they that women are taken more seriously by wearing glasses? I think that time is finished. And, and honey, you, you and Carol may remember the old adage, and really old, that women don't, oh, men yeah. don't make passes, and girls who make glasses, like, oh, God, thank God for contact lenses. Okay, we, we're at, well, we have six minutes left, and I want to spend four of them doing the what's next for you and, of course, the big moi kiss. So, Reese, I have one more question for you. You say on page 37, use belly breathing if you run out of air before completing a sentence, if your neck, throat, and shoulders hurt at the end of the day just from speaking, if you're gasping for air or breathing shallowly when you're anxious. What is belly breathing? Talk to me. Belly breathing is the abdominal breathing. It's filling up our lungs completely with air. It's what athletes and singers and speakers and musicians do. For some reason, as we get older, we usually don't use our full lung capacity. We, I take in probably a third of the amount of air that I could. However, when I do that, it means I almost have to use my neck and shoulders to push that little bit of air out. What I've learned is that when you wake up in the morning, you are actually, while you're sleeping, using your full lung power. If you wake up in the morning and notice your breathing, you'll notice that your belly goes in and out doing abdominal breathing without having to learn anything new. Just study the muscles you're using so that anytime you want, you can inhale Full, fill your lungs up, then you have your best voice, your fullest voice, and you can finish thoughts completely, and your neck and shoulders aren't necessary to be used. And it's relaxing and it's diverting as well because it gives you something to do. Thank you, Risa Wolf. Your book is Executive Speaking in a Weekend, Step-by-Step -step Templates for Commanding Respect and Creating Results. Risa is R-E-E-S-A. Wolf is W-O-O-L-F. She's got two, a, two E's in the first name and two O's in the second name and a good old Ph.D. at the end. Risa Wolf, tell us, please, what's next for you? I'll give you about 45 seconds. Go. I work in the tri-state area doing seminars in corporations for management teams and sales teams. I see top executives individually. That's really what my calendar is full of, is doing seminars and coaching. And, of course, now that the book is finished and on Amazon, I'm happy to say that I'm doing other things, like I'm making a CD called Relax Before Speaking, because you can put it on an MP3 and uh, get really in control of yourself before stepping on the stage or going into a meeting that counts. Very nice, very nice. And people can find you again at executive speaking in a weekend all together now dot com and there's an about Risa at the top on the bio and you can see some of the cartoons and you see everything about her coaching, speaking conventions. Thank you, Risa Wolf and hang tight. Carol Coleman, Carol Coleman Collage C A R O L C O L M A N C O L L A G E S dot com. Thank God for a long URL. Carol Coleman, what's next for you, my dear? Well, I am very happy to offer any of your listeners a guide to creating great invitations. If they will just contact me, there's contact information on my website. Please either give me a phone call or send me an email, and I'll be happy to help you out. I provide service nationwide, and I try to make it easy. One call does it all from design to delivery. So if you get invited to a special occasion, don't put a pin through that invitation and stick it on a bulletin board. Give me, give me a call. <laughs> and that I will, was great. That was I, great. Don't put a pin to it. That's absolutely great. That's amazing. Who thought of it? You're right. You don't want to deface the invitation, do you? 
No, you don't. And I have ways of covering that up, but I prefer not to have to use them. So please, when you get it, think, this is the perfect gift. The key to the perfect gift is right in your hand. And please give me a call. I'd love the opportunity to make something beautiful for you. Nice. And you're Lexington, Mass., and it's Carol at carolcolemancollages.com. Risa, do you want to give out an email address as well? Well, actually, if people go on the website, then they can get – I forgot to even say, I'm giving something for free, and that is there's a, um, a PDF of the eight mistakes people people typically make speaking at work, and I'd love to give that to your listeners for free. Thank you very much. So go to executivespeakinginaweekend.com. It's time for me to put the music on in just a couple seconds, and my two lady guests, Carol Coleman and Risa Wolf, Ph.D., are going to join me in the big mwah. We're going to send out a hug and a kiss to the whole world. I'm putting the music on six, five, four, three, two, one. Music is going on. There we go. And we're going to do a, a hug and a shout-out to everybody to speak a little more clearly, a little more confidently, and with some heart and soul in your voice. Don't be boring. Don't be blah. And save those invitations and think, collage, collage. Okay, Carol Coleman, Risa Wolf, let's do it. Big breath, and here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hurting already. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Risa. You're both very smart, passionate women about what you do. Thank you for sharing your expertise and your heart about your topics of interest. With my listeners, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red, off to go teach a very nice lady about selling on eBay. Yes, I'm teaching tonight. I'll see you next week right here on Read My Lips. A big shout-out to my Lorna. You are beautiful, and I will talk to you and see you on television tomorrow night. For senior moments, a happy one. Hugs and kisses to all. I'm buying. Signing off now. Bye. Bye bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.